Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when you find yourself drinking daily to relieve the stress from corporate jobs, especially when you work in the alcohol industry? In today's society, where drinking is something that is widely accepted by the majority of individuals as a societal norm, how do we recognize it when it is not normal and it's affecting our lives in a negative way? Stay tuned. My guest in this episode is going to help you understand how to recognize that journey and what kind of tools are available to help you manage your relationship with alcohol. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Ruby Williams. After working in the wine and alcohol industry for 19 years, selling, marketing, and reporting wine, she considered herself to be a normal drinker, but realized she was becoming reliant on wine to relieve stress. As a single mom, and she used alcohol to push down negative emotions, she made a decision to stop drinking alcohol for the rest of her life. I know that there's a lot of us doing it these days, and um, we're here to help you to understand how to do yours. By committing to not drinking alcohol, she was open and able to overcome food addiction and learn to manage her health. She achieved her goal of starting her own business as a Naked Mind certified coach. We're going to talk about that. And this never would have happened if she were still drinking alcohol. Her mission is to help as many people as she can to overcome their alcohol abuse and then change their life for the better and live a, live a life free of alcohol. Ruby, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm Ruby Williams, like you said. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to share your journey and the kind of tools that, uh, that you know, you, you are going to give us for those individuals. My wife stopped drinking about, uh, she hit her three year uh, this last May. Wow, what I do with my, I use pom-poms, so I would say, yay, yeah, congratulations, I love to uh, celebrate wins. <laughs> yeah, she, she, it was a, you know, it's been a journey, you know, you've been, people recognize, but I grew up with two alcoholic parents, and uh, so I understand that environment uh, extensively from a childhood, I had a very dysfunctional family uh, growing up, so um, I understand your journey. And of course, working, uh, uh, as we've spoken before prior to this, you know, I worked a DUI task force for a number of years and my specialty was DUI, driving under the influence and drugs and alcohol related issues. I worked domestic violence, which, you know, uh, a large number of, of those calls were directly related to alcohol and, and so forth. So it, it, has a, it has an effect on our lives, even though society has kind of made it a normal well, we'll get in. We'll get into that. What, what I, you know, I'm excited about your journey, where you came from, and, and how you got there. I know you said you grew up in California, yep. in the wine country. Yes. Um. So you, I guess, I'm assuming Napa Valley. It's Sonoma County, actually. Sonoma right, County, which is right next to Napa County. Mm -hmm. So, so same, same arena. Yep. So, in, what was your family like? I mean, you said that your father was a winemaker, but what was your family like overall? Uh, overall, my, um, I was from a divorced family. So, uh, my family, um, we drank a, a, a lot Irish, you know, kind of <laughs> background. Um, and but did you have I, any brothers, sisters? I have three step brothers and sisters, one brother and a half sister. 
It's a really big family. And I also switched schools every single year because my parents were divorced and I would go back and forth. Um, so kind of a, a nomadic, a little bit always moving around background. Um, I was a, like a, a band geek. I, in high school, I played volleyball. I liked sports and was more in the academic and I always wanted to be like this good girl. So it's kind of strange. Maybe that's part of why I hid my drinking too and hid my food addictions um, because I always wanted to, on the outside, appear like everything was normal and good. <laughs> when inside I was struggling. Yeah. I think that, I think that happens with a lot of families that grew up in that environment. I, my parents divorced. My mother was married five times. So it, it creates an environment for us where we sometimes we have to mask our living environment when it seems like everybody else has a normal, you know, home life and what you see on TV, the picture, okay. picture perfect life. And then we don't have that. Sometimes we, uh, we kind of mask where we're, where we're at in life. That's and, a and then, yeah, unfortunately I think it moves into, you know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, food disorders, self-esteem issues. I mean, yeah. there's a whole slew of stuff like that. Did you, did you go to college? I did. Um, I Well, what I did first, actually, um, is I was an exchange student. Right after high school, I lived in Sweden for a year uh, with a host family. That's very cool. Such a cool experience. And then I went to the junior college, and then I went to state school, and I actually have a degree in cartography, map making, and geography. Uh, so that's I loved college, um, worked really hard. Um, I didn't, you know, I had to work full time all through college. So I always say, I always am proud of that. I'm, I'm a very hard worker. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good attribute to have. It, I mean, you know, especially these days, well, I, I, I don't want to get in trouble by saying some things, but you know, these days it seems like everybody wants to work 20 hours a week and get paid for 40. Right. But I, I mean, that would be the perfect lifestyle, though, to be able to work 20 and get paid for 40. <laughs> Give us a nice work, work life balance that kind of, you know, you get to play more than you do get to, you know, work more. <laughs> um, did you, I know that you said you went and got a, a degree with cartography, but that what an interesting aspect. I didn't even know they did that, to be honest with you. I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up? A, a map maker? <laughs> Well, I had this like really strong desire to travel, yes, and maps and the world and cultures. And um, I wasn't sure. I, I, you do remember the game Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? I got to work for the company mm -hmm. that did um, the design work for that. Um, uh, now it's totally normal to have like um, our iPhones, you know, with, with, with driving directions. But right yes. when I graduated from college, that, remember the first, it was like a little line and it was, um, you, you know, directions in your car. I wanted to work for a company that like was going to do that, but, uh, that didn't quite happen. So I ended up, um, working in accounting. I went back to school, got an accounting degree cause I couldn't find anything, um, in the cartography world. Uh, so I start, I was an accountant in, in, in finance and started to do that, um, well, it makes it diverse. I mean, it, you know, I think my daughters asked me, I think we had a conversation a few years ago 
And my youngest daughter said, you know, I've, I've switched jobs like four jobs now, Dad. I said, well, before, she's like, well, I don't want to give her age away because, you know, I'm a dad, but I'm also a gentleman. So we'll just say she's, she's, she's well, she, we'll, we'll put early 30s, early, like way early 30s. <laughs> but I said by the time I was uh, probably 22 years old, I had probably worked, I was a dishwasher and a busboy and a cook and a fry cook and a pizza maker and a, and a, worked for a kitchen cabinet place building cabinets. And, you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it gave me a diverse opportunity to understand different ways that people do their jobs. And I, th I appreciated that, especially as I move forward in my professional capacity in law enforcement. But uh, I think we all kind of do that, explore just a little bit. Yeah, that's an interesting segue, um, Michael, that in terms of alcohol use disorder, it can affect anybody and everyone. Um, it really can, any career. My clients have been teachers, doctors, um, therapists, <laughs> policemen, uh, you know, it's everyone, nurses. Um, I'm not, I, ju I just, it's, it's anyone, accountants. So you're not alone, I guess is what I want to say. You're not alone. Um, in fact, really, really smart, intelligent people that um, are leaders, it can happen. So it's just, I want you to know you're not alone and it's not your fault. So thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we look, we're human beings and you know, everybody wants to be perfect and everybody wants to present that perfect picture of how their life is to, to the world because we feel that's what we have to do. But, you know, in reality, you know, sometimes we always need uh, to look around to see if we need a helping hand and uh, to recognize that it, that maybe we do need a little help and it's okay to ask for that help no matter what it happens to be. So, you know, I think that you've, you've uh, through part of your journey, you've learned to be able to create an environment for people to get help in certain areas of life, especially coming into coaching. So, and, and again, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll talk about that in a little bit here, but um, I know that uh, uh, through your journey, you know, you, you said you, you are a mother. Um, uh, how many kids, may I ask how many kids you have? Yeah, I have one son. He's uh, 25. So he's an adult and he's been launched. What? <laughs> uh, it reminds me of that that movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey and right. Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, "Failure Shall Launch." Yes, he's <laughs> launched. We'll see. Yeah, uh, if it fails, but <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those. Look, yeah, I'm a dad. I've got two lovely daughters, wonderful daughters. They're both intelligent, beautiful young women. That uh, you know, they they are. Um, I love them to death. I would do anything for them. Um, but uh, as you know, once a parent, you're always a parent. So even though they're adults and they're over 30, uh, I always get these phone calls and they come at these times, you kind of go, okay, what do you want? Right. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I do understand that. But hey, I love the term launched. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. So <clears throat> excuse me, how did you, you know, you, you worked, you said you worked in the wine industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my, my story is a little different. Like my stepdad was a winemaker. So wine was revered in our family. I saw, you know, 
to have a glass of wine after work to relieve stress, like I said. Um, and, but I want to start with, with, I think I want to start with food addiction. Cause for me personally, I, as I started like numbing my feelings with food and, um, it was always like a weight thing. Um, I, they go hand in hand for me. That's why I'm bringing it up. I feel like a lot of people have accelerator events is what I call them events, like maybe a divorce or a death, or you can be a normal drinker as they call it, like a normal drinker for, for many, many, many years. And then oftentimes, like if you using it, alcohol to, for my example, relieve stress or um, handle grief, um, it could tip the scale where it becomes an addiction or you, you, you use it to abuse. And how that happens is usually um, over time, but for me, I had weight loss surgery. So I had gained um, about 100 pounds quite quickly after a home foreclosure and then a child custody battle. Uh, there was a lot going on. And what's so interesting about my story and people that have had weight loss surgery is, yeah, you can cut away a piece of your stomach and lose the weight, but you haven't addressed any of your thinking, right? The, the numbing, the want to numb or um, that, that food addiction is still there. And it just translated for me to alcohol. So um, I'm in my wine job, I'm working and it just, it just, I start drinking every day. It was like, oh, maybe a glass or two here and there. And it just starts, it's just the nature of addiction where you, in terms of the science, you, your dopamine goes up and your brain chemicals, but then they crash. Usually it only takes about 20 minutes and then you want another glass and that's how it can happen. And then you keep trying to have that feeling again. And uh, honestly, your tolerance can increase quickly and then you have more and more. Um, and only people can self-diagnose themselves. Um, you have to decide if you want to feel better. For me, I was feeling worse. I was in this cycle where it was like an obsession or um, I would wake up in the morning and I would vow, I'm not going to drink today. And I would feel horrible in the mornings. I would start to feel better around noon, but then, like I said, I had this job, stress. By the afternoon, I was thinking, I just have to relieve stress. I'll have one glass of wine just to relieve stress. The next thing I know, I've had a whole bottle. It just kept increasing. And then my wine drinking increased or changed from hard alcohol, from wine to hard alcohol. That's when it got really, really scary. My world got smaller and smaller, meaning I wasn't going out as much. I was drinking at home alone. I would drink until I passed out and then wake up at like two in the morning. Go, oh my gosh, I did it again. Stay up. You know, I would be up from like two to five, beating myself up. It's just this horrible groundhog's day. Yes. And what point in your, your journey did you actually come back into that? I, uh, you grew up with it but you kind of did some other things. How did you get into working for the wine industry? Well, um, I married a chef and we started moving with, for his business, his career, uh, to different areas. And 
when we actually separated, I moved back to Sonoma County and that's when I said, I'm going to apply for the wine industry jobs because I had worked, um, when I was younger in the wine industry and I, and I really thought that's what I wanted to do. So it kind of had to do with, with getting a divorce and moving back to be close to family. That's kind of where my journey went. And I wanted to raise my son, uh, near family and come back to my grassroots, you know, Sonoma County. So that's, that's what happened there. At what point in your life did you understand that you had, uh, and, and, and when I asked this, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know, we recognized with my wife, we recognized um, kind of an addictive personality. So she did the same thing. She had an addiction to food and she would use food to overcome things. She would have used food for stress. She would use food, you know, to, to, um, to fulfill the, the void, so to speak. Yeah. And then she recognized from that particular point when she started managing that and dealing with that, then she started drinking. Yep. more and when she realized that she was drinking more then she start went back to sugar yeah you know and this kind of a thing so from from a perspective of understanding um recognizing how we recognize our addictive personality type stuff at what point did you realize uh your addictive personality traits for whether it be food or whether it be alcohol. And, and I'm assuming food was first yeah. and then it transitioned into alcohol, correct? Yes. Yes. So back probably when I was an early teen, you know, a lot of women, I know it's for, for girls too, girls or boys, but you know, it's all about how we look and our weight and, um, that, and then numbing feelings. So I really relate to just what you shared about your wife because that's so similar. I like was like, yep, me, 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 similar. So I know there's a lot of us out there, but it just I'll just speak specifically to alcohol that on average, people know that they probably have a problem for about seven years before you actually seek um, support or seek a solution. You try things for seven years on average. Again, that's a long time of creating rules around it. Or, um, you know, I, I started with, oh, I'll just drink on the weekends only, or I'll only have one glass or, um, but rules didn't work for me. And then it's, it's a shameful place to be because like you said, Michael, you want to be perfect on the outside. Well, and then you're feeling this shame, like, why am I drinking? Is this only me? I really thought like I was the only one dealing with this because it, it looks like everybody else can handle it. When I say everybody else, it's like other family and friends, they, they appear to, to be able to drink and take it or leave it like I used to. So I couldn't figure out, you know, why was this happening to me? And I was very angry because I wanted to be a normal drinker. And every time I tried to stop also, um, I worked in the wine industry and I would use as a, as an excuse. Well, I have to drink because this is my, my work, you know, my industry. Um, I do want to share one thing. Uh, a close family member, uh, was the one that told me about weight loss surgery and I had no idea, but three out of four people with weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery can become um, addicted to alcohol. They can start to abuse alcohol after food. It's very common. And my relative um, 
told me about the surgery. And then about three years later, I was at her funeral and I didn't know that she was abusing alcohol. So I know this is a thing and I just want to help so many people. So I'm here to just share the message and that you're not alone. I think it keeps people in shame when you think you're alone and it's not your fault. So I got to keep repeating those words because it's very important. <laughs> it is important. I mean, again, you know, a lot of us don't, society and culture, especially in America, they bring out a stigma of, a stigma basically of that, whether it be drugs or alcohol or anything along that line, addictive personality type situations, whether it be food, drugs, alcohol, um, porn. I mean, it, it's a situation yeah. that there's always a stigma around those at such a point that if you come out and admit it, say I have a problem or I, I quit drinking then or I, I, I quit doing whatever I was doing, I changed my eating habits because of this or whatever the case may be, it, it it's a it, it's kind of one of those side eye looks. You know, people go, You did what? Why'd you do that? You know, because today, well, I grew up in you know, obviously I'm not a young chicken, so I, I grew up watching TV in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And, you know, what do you see on TV? The guy comes home, the woman comes home, drink, smoke, drink, smoke, drink, smoke, drink, smoke. It's you go out, drink, even smoke, in the drink, 60s, smoke. 70s and 80s, if you watch shows today, this is exactly happening. And that, that contributes into now. They yeah. show party, party, animal house. <laughs> yeah. You know, how much can you drink? It, it is, they've normalized drinking to such a point that if you say you don't want to drink, um, then you're weird or you're on the outside from a societal from perception. A societal perspective. But I'm here to say that um, <clears throat> you can learn to take it or leave it. You can. Um, so that's what I like to say. I mean, I'm a non-drinker, but people start my programs with you don't have to stop right away. It's about getting curious and aware and then changing your thoughts and beliefs and emotions around alcohol. It's different. It's totally different model than AA. You know, AA is about white knuckling it and stopping right away. And then you work on your beliefs and your, you know, but right. programs I, and this naked mind methodology is about awareness and self-compassion. And then you stop the behavior. So it's a little different. I think, but I think that's a nice approach because, like, when my father, my father was an alcoholic. I told you that. Yes. You know, he went through. He he was made to at that time. Is this was back in? See, I was fifteen, so it was back in the seventies. Um, so in the seventies, you know, he had gotten like three DUIs or two DUIs. So they put him in an alcohol. A quote. I can't show you the quotes, but alcohol rehabilitation program and it consisted of putting him in a facility where they give him anti-abuse which you know and for those of you that don't know what that is it's a drug that they get, used to give for people to force them to stop drinking because it makes you extremely sick when you do drink with it and makes you throw up and yeah. you know detrimental but alcoholics and people who have that depth of alcoholism can drink past that my father did it my father was on any abuse, but he drank past that. Mm -hmm. He learned to adapt to it and over, you know, from that perspective. But it also puts you through AA 
And, you know, they work. Um, and I'm not dissing the, the AA because I, I actually... I'm not either. <laughs> just short of a, a, a certification for drug and alcohol abuse counselor. And, you know, and we had to go through sit AA meetings and then a bunch of uh, uh, family support type groups are the same thing. And, and, you know, it's what I see collectively within that, and I saw within my own father's journey through that, was they make him do this STEP program and the step program would would work for a little while, but he still had the underlying issues that never got worked on. So the yeah. underlying issues yeah. that were making him drink were not necessarily addressed in the AA meetings. Exactly. Or, or the step program that they had put him on. Yeah. The step program said, oh, if you wrong somebody, you got to go in and, and, and uh, apologize and you got to make, make amends and things like this. Okay. Well, you can make amends to somebody, but that not might not be the the root issue. Yeah. For your for your problem at the moment, for your not you know you know it's your issue with drinking. So, I think that unfortunately, um, in in certain situations, I think your well in all situations, I think your approach is a much more methodical option or an opportunity. For, and we're going to talk about the program in specific, but it's a more of a, it, it's a more of an opportunity for individuals to kind of get to the underlying root of the problem exactly. of why you're why drinking. drinking. Yes. Yeah, because not, once you know why, it's easier to deal with it, and that comes with anything, whether it be anxiety, depression, you know, even in mental health, mental, you know, that from from those perspectives, a lot of times you have to understand why. What's the root issue of why you're going through what you're going through and what you're trying to manage. And I think the other thing is that you brought up earlier is it is an opportunity for you to manage it because we all have a choice in life. And, and you know, when you're presented with that choice, you, you are the only one that can make that choice. You are the only one that can say, yes, I'm going to do this or no, I'm not going to do this. Yes, I will take these actions or no, I won't take these actions. You know, nobody can push you. Nobody can pull you. If you need help, there's always people that can can hold you up. There's people that can hold your hand mm -hmm. as you walk through this journey. And you, and you, and obviously you need to, to be aware and look around you. There are people when you fall that will be there to pick you up and you have to be aware of those situations. The support system I think is integral in, in helping somebody manage this in particular, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, from that perspective, how did you, uh, so you, once you recognized that you wanted to stop drinking, what kind of steps did you take in order for you, prior to you coming to this coaching program that, that you are now, you know, um, your methodology that you're now sharing with other people, what kind of tools were brought to you that allowed you to recognize and then start to overcome that? Really great question. I, like I said, I started for years with trying to manage it on my own and I felt very alone and it didn't really work. Um, I had, you know, it, I, I was in denial too for, for a very long time, but I would say the biggest catalyst was, um, reading this naked mind, the book. It, I didn't feel alone from the very first sentence of her in, introduction of the book. It's it. She starts out with it's three 33 in the morning. I'm laying here awake, beating myself up. Why did I do it again? And I just, I just was like, Oh my gosh, she's speaking to me. This makes sense. Um, I also tried 
um, Kaiser uh, outpatient program. Uh, and then they said to me, you need to go to an AA meeting, which I did. But I remember thinking, isn't that like an old religious book? <laughs> I didn't know much about, <laughs> about it. I really didn't. And it just didn't seem, it seemed odd to me that I go to the medical you know, field to seek treatment. And I was in the addiction um, department and they send me to an AA meeting um, that's, you know, out, out in town. And it just seems so strange to me. And you know that there's changes now. So I discovered there's online programs. There's all kinds of online communities. There's quit lit books like this naked mind is one. There's all kinds of people that share their stories. There's memoirs, the alcohol free movement or sober curious movement is huge. And I discovered that the, there's just all these people out there, there's support. And I loved the science. You know, um, I love not having a label. You know, everybody that drinks alcohol could be on the trajectory or they're on the graph of possibly getting addicted to alcohol. Anybody, everybody. So it's not your fault. Um, that may, That was a really big you know, catalyst for me too. And then I started to share um, with other people in communities. And that kind of relieved some of my shame by being vulnerable and just being curious and aware and looking around. And like, like we talked about noticing that it's everywhere. When I say everywhere, it's, you go to school events, it's, it's there. There's, um, you know, you have, beer at baseball games, uh, mimosas at brunch. Uh, there's girls trips, there's fine wine at restaurants, there's birthday parties, there's work events where you have champagne. It's everywhere. And then you watch TV and it's in every movie. It's in every TV show. It's in series, you know, um, everybody's having a drink, even in future. You watch a show where it's 250 years, like a sci-fi they're drinking wine. It's so bizarre to me um, now that I can see it with different eyes. And once you know and you learn something, you can't unlearn it. So now that it's, I'm aware of where it's everywhere, it's so amazing. But the big thing is how I started is I, I decided with my cousin, okay, this is part of my story. We decided to try this together. And it was great to have somebody to do this with. Um, and we just tried it. We tried to have like a couple of days alcohol free, see how we feel. It was scary, but I did it. And then I tried a 30 day challenge. I don't know if you've heard of like a dry January. Um, I have heard of that. Yeah. They did that on GMA pushed that. Yeah. Actually. It's a thing. So I tried it. I wasn't a hundred percent, you know, I, I got a couple of weeks alcohol free, but that's when I knew I felt so much better that I wanted to continue this journey and I wanted to figure it out. Um, so I also tried, you mentioned an abuse with your father. I tried naltrexone. It's another drug, um, that it kind of relieves the desire. It's weird. Like if you're drinking like a glass of say wine, um, it stops the neurotransmitters in your brain so that it just, it's like drinking a glass of water. But I did the same thing as your dad and that I pushed through it and I was able to still drink even though I was on the naltrexone. So 
it doesn't work for some people, those kinds of things. But you, I say, try everything. I, that's the way I am. Try, um, you know, there's podcasts like that are around um, quitting alcohol or sober cu curious communities. There, um, There's all kinds of books and online programs. There's AA, there's rehabs. There's, I mean, I say try anything and everything because it's worth it. This lifestyle is worth it, and it's wonderful to be on the other side. Um, so, yeah. Okay, if, if I can, so the tools that when you started recognizing the, the you took the you did the challenges to see if that would work. You tried this kind of thing. Were there any kind of tools that you other than the books? Did the books that you read that what did you call it? The naked uh, naked mind. This naked mind. This naked mind. It, I'm assuming that she is along the same journey as as you're taking with alcohol correct yeah well it's the book is about getting curious and aware and looking at the beliefs so um we do a lot of um, liminal thinking work which where you take a belief like alcohol relieves stress and you start to dive in mm -hmm. with each individual client i'm looking at their stories around it what are you know what's the truth a lot of it's just story maybe alcohol did feel like it relieved stress when you first were drinking mm -hmm. it maybe in your 20s or 30s or whatever your story is but eventually it tips the scale to where it's actually causing stress as the example so um and it's a depressant it yeah and it's a alcohol is a depressant everybody think oh we got to celebrate we got to celebrate got to celebrate but in actuality alcohol is a depressant yeah you only have about 15 to 20 minutes of a buzz feeling even if in my end end of my drinking years i didn't even get any kind of a buzz feeling it was just in my head so we actually even do like experiments where you really get curious and you drink very slowly um, we also don't say relapse we don't say alcoholic there's no labels it's more about grace and compassion um and exploring we call it data points so you can get more data so okay you drink well why let's get curious yeah. let's explore let's ask questions let's see what kind of underlying thoughts and emotions were behind that what a brilliant approach because you're not vilifying it you're actually working through the issue and working through the why yes. you know i think you know in in society today in in i guess i said earlier whether you're dealing with even mental health or um if you have PTSD, for example, uh, as well as something like addiction, whether it be food or whether or not to be, it be uh, drugs or alcohol, you know, there's always an underlying why. What puts you into this position? Why are you here? Why are you wanting this? What are you trying to accomplish with this? And, you know, I, it, watching this journey through both in my career, personal life and my career, you know, it, it was interesting to see and understand that the majority of, and this is by no means saying anything against any therapist out there or anybody that's working in this field, because I respect you, what you do. But it, it unfortunately doesn't center on the, the why. And I think that understanding why helps you to come to a solution as to how to overcome or manage it. And, and so I like that approach. I, I think that it, it's, a much, um, it's a much more compassionate approach you know, you're not judged, in my opinion. You, right. you know, you, I've been there. That's what's amazing about being a coach is I can say I've 
I've been there. I've done that. I can, you're not alone. Like, um, and zero judgment, safe place to share, you know, what you think is your deep, dark secrets. It's totally safe and confidential. So it's like that old cliche. I've walked a mile in your shoes and obviously you have. So it, and then some, so, you know, you, you have an approach that kind of builds confidence with individuals that, um, shows them that, uh, you don't just understand you have empathy for where they're at, where they're coming from, because you've been there, done it yourself and experienced it yourself. And I think, uh, understanding is great, but empathy, you know, just as an emphasis on, on that understanding from a deeper level, which is always good from that position. So what, what did you, um, I know that you, you, you made the decisions through reading the book and you made the decisions with, uh, with, uh, attempting to, to stop like with the 30 day challenges and things like that. What kind of tools did you end up utilizing yourself in order to, uh, help you to manage this before you quit completely? Such a good question. Um, I will talk about the tools that I use now as a coach. Um, because I have so many more than even when I, you know, attempted and and got alcohol free. So my my sobriety date, by the way, I don't think I shared that with you, is yeah. May of 2019. So I'm now about four and a half years alcohol free, somewhere around there. Um, and See, May, May's a good month for that. <laughs> my wife did hers in May. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually the day after Mother's Day, and and this is special kind of uh, meaning there. My son. I told him for years, you know, I'm going to quit drinking and um, it just escalated and escalated. And I remember it was the day after Mother's Day and I told him and he said, you've you've said this for years and years. You're not going to do it. And I kind of use that as like, I'm going to prove you wrong, too. I got I got some some like I just was ready. So how do you know if you're ready to? I want to just say this. Um, it's when you think you must change. Are you tired? of, you know, that being tired of being tired, that phrase, um, are you starting to realize that your life, you know, you're just not living up to your full potential or are you worried about your health? Like that was, I was just worried about my health all the time. I was having like heart pains, liver pains, you know, brain fog. Um, my vision was going, my health was going. And then I realized that I needed to take responsibility you know, if it's not my fault that I became addicted, I just needed to like take radical responsibility for, for my health and for my life. And the other thing was that I started to believe I could, I started to read these stories, like I said, where people did it. And like, I can be that inspiration for people, but tools, oh my gosh, so many tools, tools around helping people remove shame. I have tools around helping people, um, reframe their beliefs and thoughts. Um, we're now discovering, um, through science that emotions, having positive emotions and, um, really helps with addiction. So there's so many new ways to help with addiction that have come up in the last like 10 years. And I'm, we're, I'm utilizing these kinds of science-based, um, methodologies, uh, one of my favorite okay tools you you were asking specific tools and tactics um is to really get into your body and instead of drinking alcohol ask yourself what do i really need right now and a lot of times your your 
you're so used to, you have these strong neural pathways, these like grooves where you just, you, you're hungry, but you think you need alcohol. You're bored, but you think you need alcohol or you're thirsty. So you can go to down to the basics of, we use the an acronym HALT plus B. So you ask yourself, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Am I tired? Am I angry or lonely or bored? And you go through, this is a really good tactic to use. Um, and then you address that first. And the other really cool tactic is to play it forward. I call this like play the tape forward. And that's how do you want to feel tomorrow morning? And it can really work. Another one, I have so many, but just, you know, one day at a time, instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to drink for the rest of my life or something. We start with really small goals. Maybe the first goal is just try one night, try one night, see what happens. And then maybe you, and you get to decide your goals. Again, I'm not, I'm not running the show in terms of your goals. And when you, when you're ready to stop drinking or how, um, you know, or if you want to moderate or learn how to control it, it's all about you. I love the t having smaller goals and then, and then lengthening it. So maybe this, you go one day and then maybe you try a week and what worked, what didn't work. I'll always be asking those questions. What worked well and what didn't work. So baby steps. it's like teamwork with a coach. It's really a, an I guide. Like baby steps. And baby steps. Definitely. One step at a time. One step at a time is really important. Uh, yeah. I think that one step at a time helps because then it doesn't put a, um, uh, Yes, I yes, I am educated, and I can't think of this word. <laughs> it doesn't put a uh, a preconceived notion in your head that you have an expectation to have to complete something, like uh, oh my gosh, you know, I've got a test at the end. I've got a test in six weeks. Right. You know that kind of a feeling. You've got something that this is just one day at a time, one step at a time, and uh, you know, one day at a time, it it comes as it comes. Which is, I think, a, you know, a nice approach because it allows you to, to take the process and embed the process within ourselves mm -hmm. to allow us to move forward at a pace that we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And um, in this methodology, you learn. Uh, so it's about instead of like, like I said, like with AA model, you just stop drinking and then yeah. you start to like learn or figure that here where it's like grace, compassion, awareness curiosity and learning. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is changing the behavior actually. So there's, it's a lot of learning first. And well, it goes back to understanding the why. If you understand why, then it gives you maybe a, a, it gives you a foundation, I think, mm -hmm. for understanding what tools that you're going to use in order to change. You, know, you can't build a house without putting a foundation down and putting yeah. the walls up first. And then, you know, it, it's just a, it's a progress type yeah. situation. So what, what really inspires you to be, um, you know, you talk about your tools, you talk about what you've done, but you, you decided to become a coach in regard to this, uh, the naked mind certified coach. Yeah. What gave, what inspired you to be a coach? Another great question. Um, I'll tell you the truth. I ended up, not working in the wine industry. I decided to change everything. Um, I just couldn't support an industry that I believed was 
hijacking people's brains and, um, you know, creating it create, like you had said, because you were a cop, it creates dysfunction in families. Parents aren't as um, aware. Um, and I feel like I just got way off. Your question was though about what inspired me, um, to become a coach. Well, all of that, I wanted to help society. I realized that, you know, as a parent, I wasn't as present or kind when I was drinking, my personality changed. I'm more likely to be angry, pick, you know, arguments. Um, there's, it's just affecting, uh, work productivity. It's affecting people's potential to be their better selves. So in terms of just, I want to be a part of the change, part of the alcohol free movement. I want to be helping people live just feeling better. I mean, the point is we want to feel better and, um, and also we want to give, I want to give back to society as well. I worked in the wine industry, like I said, and I was in wine marketing. I was helping promote wine, selling wine. Maybe people became addicted because of some of the ads that I produced. So I really wanted to, um, figure out a way to just not let anybody else be in that deep, dark hole. Because when I was in addiction, I describe it as like a, a deep, dark hole or a, a dark cave where my life was getting smaller and smaller. And it's almost, I don't want to say in any kind of religious way, but it was like an enlightenment to see the light. Like when you're living um, in this deep, dark hole and you're in a cycle and you really, it's so hard to get out of it. I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. But it's the opposite. When you start to, to sleep better, you get some alcohol-free days, you feel better, your mind clears up, you all of a sudden have more energy. That makes you more likely to, to exercise more, do better at work, improve your relationships, become a better parent. Um, all of these things are possible and happen. Um, so why did I become a coach? Because I knew what it was like. I wanted to help others. And I, um, I answered these three questions, Michael. It's who am I, what do I want, and what is my passion? And I spent about six months diving in to those three questions. And it's not who am I, like I'm a mom and I work and at this job. It's who am I deep inside? And the love and joy and compassion and empathy for others has come out so strong. Um, and this is just my passion. I want to give people hope and inspire and motivate and guide and provide a ro roadmap with solutions as well. So it's, it's not just the fluffy, yeah. you know, it's, I have actual solutions where clients get results, period. Well, that's an amazing, uh, yeah. I mean, it's nice when we are able to find our purpose in life and yeah. sometimes our purpose changes in the middle in the middle of our journey. I mean, we understand that the purpose that we thought we were on wasn't, wasn't necessarily the one that we're supposed to be on permanently or for the next chapter in our life. Exactly. Um, so finding your new purpose in life, I think, is a, is a very positive thing because we all want purpose and we all want a reason for being here. And the benefit of being here with something that can help other people is, is that not only do we achieve our own goals of wanting to help others, then uh, we can help those people by holding their hand um, through their journey. So that, yeah. again, as you said earlier, they're not alone, which is really a good thing. Um, 
the uh, the in starting your coaching journey, um, tell me about how you how you got into the coaching system. How did you get, you know what happened there? How did you get into that? Well, I had read Annie's book, like I said, Annie Grace wrote This Naked Mind, and um, and then I did her 30-day challenges, kind of like a dry, it's called an alcohol experiment. It's like a dry January or a dry March. Um, and then I was on her mailing list, and I kept getting these these emails that she's starting this, this Naked Mind Coaching Institute to teach people to be coaches, to help others. And to be honest with you, I, I felt it, I felt it like I knew this is what I wanted to do. I, I just felt so strongly with all of my being that this was my next chapter of my life. And I signed up, I got, um, approved and I did the training and then I started my entrepreneur. I want, I became, a which was one of my other things I always wanted to do was have a business for myself. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to be an entrepreneur. Uh, there's a lot of challenges, but it's been really, really cool. And I'm learning so much. Um, everything's figure outable, <laughs> uh, but it, I love to challenge myself. And when I was in that drinking cycle, I couldn't even take a class. I don't think I couldn't have done any of this. I just, every night it was the same, you know, it was, um, making it through the day, then drinking in the evenings, maybe watching TV and passing out, doing it again the next day and just not sleeping. So, um, yeah, that is how I became a coach. And now I've been coaching for about, well, I'm certified. Here's my, in September of 2020, and I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, what's the, what are the principles behind the naked mind methodology? The principles are led with grace, compassion, curiosity, awareness, science-based approach. So that's, what's really important. It's very science-based. We really look at the, the mind, the neural pathways, the brain chemistry, um, the different parts of the brain that are affected by addiction. Um, and then we also have a big component with emotions and it's all based on liminal thinking and, and reframing these beliefs and thoughts and feelings and um, perceptions that we perceive, or maybe our body even gets excited when you just even think about pouring a glass of wine, for example. But we're going to, we dive in everywhere. We also look at, there's three layers, by the way, that we look at. First is um, the substance itself. You know, that alcohol, the components of like, it's basically ethanol, gasoline, you know, um, it's a toxin for your body. How does it process in your body? What happens to your body? You know, there's the physical parts of it. There's society. So the first is substance. And then society is all that piece that we've been talking about. Like it's normalized and it's, um, you know, that it's in beer commercials and it's on TV shows and movies, and it has been for, for centuries. And, um, and then there's the self piece. And this is the piece that we spend most of the time on. A lot of times you can kind of get through the self and the society, but then, I mean, sorry, the substance of society pretty quickly, but then the self piece, why are you drinking? Um, 
and it's everybody is so unique. There are a lot of similarities I found in patterns, um, but most people are in two camps a lot of the times. They're social drinkers, um, and that's where they have a hard time, or they're drinkers at home, and they might be hiding their drinking even from family members or themselves. I mean, I can tell you this story that I would even hide it from myself. It sounds crazy. My son um, went to college, and that's probably when I drank my most heaviest. I was had feelings of empty nest, um, sadness, and nobody else was home. And my drinking really, really increased. And I remember waking up every night at like two in the morning, three in the morning and seeing the bottles and just, I couldn't believe I did it again. I remember that would go through my mind. I did it again. How did I do this again? I don't even remember, but I would take those bottles and put them in the bottom of my recycling bin and hide them from myself. I didn't want to see it in the morning. I wanted to pretend it didn't happen, but it's very common if you've uh, hidden your drinking from family or friends or even yourself, like I said, just like wanting to like be in denial. It's not happening. Um, so, so that's answering. That's that. the methodologies. Yeah. I think, I think that's oh. a really good, I mean, it's a, obviously, it goes back to what we said earlier. It's kind of an approach where we take it one step at a time and one day at a time. And yeah. and then that way we don't feel um, uh, pressured, I guess it would be a good word. Mm -hmm. We don't feel pressured or obligated. It's something that we kind of can do at our pace yes. so that it kind of sinks in a little bit, mm -hmm. I, I would guess. So I think that you know your journey has been one that um, many, many, many others have taken. I mean, we all we all have walked this journey at one point or another. You know, I don't drink. Uh, my brother drinks. I don't drink. My sister doesn't drink either. But um, growing up in an alcoholic family, you know, typically you tend to be an alcoholic. We all have the opportunity to make a choice in our lives and to see whether or not something is beneficial to us or something is not beneficial to us, or if we're fooling ourselves into thinking that it's beneficial. Roby, tell us a little bit about your uh, coaching business and how somebody can find you and what kind of services that you offer, please. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So um, I created uh, my business name is Freedom Renegade Coaching. Um, to me, being alcohol free, it's all about freedom, freedom from alcohol, freedom from that, like thinking about it. I used to think about it all the time and then renegade because it's going against the grain you know, uh, against the grain of society when you say you don't want to drink. So Freedom Renegade Coaching at www.freedomrenegadecoaching.com. And you can reach me at ruby.williams at freedomrenegadecoaching.com. So on my website, I have a, a superpower guide. And that's just a freebie for you, um, a free offering. And I call alcohol freedom as my superpower. <laughs> um, I really feel like it's a superpower. So it's a little guide to help you. It's like the first step to, to get involved with me. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching that I mentioned where I love to have what's called a discovery call. There's a link right on my website where you click that link and can schedule um, a free call with me. We brainstorm. I hear your story. Um, and then I can figure out where 
within my programs, would it work best? Is it one-on-one -on -one coaching? Is it a 90 day program? Um, I'm building a 90 day program right now. And then I also have a 30 day kind of challenge that I had mentioned before where you can experiment dipping your toe in for 30 days and seeing what that's like. And I offer so much science and tactics and tools. And my one-on-one -on -one coaching is, it's probably my favorite because I really get to know you personally. Um, and we work together um, we, usually weekly. Uh, and I really get to understand what are those reasons underneath. And we work on and you and your story and your beliefs um, and help turn around your uh, drinking or whatever your goal is. You know, the, your goal can be that you want to just drink less. Your goal can be that you want to control. Most people, when they get dip their toe in and then they get some alcohol-free days like I did, I, they, they really want that lifestyle because you feel so much better every day. Every day you wake up with energy. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. So um, Freedom Renegade Coaching is the name of my business. And I help people get free from alcohol. But guess what? The very next thing you want to work on the next thing in your life we call it the big domino is alcohol but then for me next was food or some people it's um changing their careers or working on relationships um so once you get free from alcohol then you can start working on other things and i can help with that too so um is that part of the the alcohol freedom badassery <laughs> yes yes i really yeah, I do. Love yeah, yeah. So alcohol yeah, badassery is my ninety-day program that um, I'm designing right now. Uh, it's it's almost ready, and I would love to. That's more of a group coaching, which group coaching is amazing too. Because when you have a group of people together, you don't feel alone in that. Yep. People are sharing, you know, uh, and it can be very motivational. One person could be like, "I'm, you know, weak alcohol free," and somebody else has you know, a month and, and somebody else is still struggling trying to get one day. So you can really like relate to each other. I love it. It works really, really, really well. I, uh, you have some courses that you're developing also that are coming down the road. Yeah, I, um, right now I'm developing a, um, it's, uh, have a wine free weekend and it's a way to just have one weekend alcohol free to, to try it. Um, uh, I also have a, um, building a seven, day like alcohol free boot camp to to have a you know your first week alcohol free and kind of because the first week is almost the most critical um in terms of detox withdrawal and well here's what's an interesting fact only 10 percent of heavy drinkers actually need a medical detox but i always start with every single one of my programs if you even think that you i need you to talk to a, a medical doctor you know, so, um, yeah, so, but most people can, you know, 90% of heavy drinkers, um, can, can detox and it's not as bad as you think. And I have some tools and tips on all of that too. All that. So that, and when that comes out, that'll be on your website as well. So people can have yeah. an easy way to, to yeah. kind of learn about them and figure out how to get involved with them. I put your Instagram there as yeah, well at the bottom of the screen. I'm launching a podcast soon. I think in October. October is a good month to do that. Yeah. Um, that's my birthday month, so it's always a good month. But yeah, I'll make sure that all that's in the notes, show notes for everybody. And then there'll be a webpage dedicated specifically to this episode that'll have all those links, how to find you in, in those areas. So uh, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate your journey and, and where you have come from. 
to, to get where you're at, Ruby. And, and uh, this is one more thing before you go. So I always ask, do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we leave? Before we go, one more thing. One more thing. Um, you, if you're struggling in, in this way, you really can. I want to give you so much hope. And the thing that I didn't realize, too, not only the health, and just the confidence I have, I can look at myself in the mirror again. I have trust in myself. And that has gone so far just to living this lifestyle. Um, I just want to give you so much hope that if you're struggling, that you too can change. You can do this. Amazing words of wisdom. Thank you very much. Uh, again, Ruby, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope that we've been able to inspire, motivate, and educate some people out there, yeah. and they can move forward in life. Again, I'll have everything uh, and uh, your website and how to get in touch with you uh, available on the show notes as well as uh, on the website. And uh, for everyone else out there, um, one more thing before you all go. Have a great day. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.